Uh, it's good to be together. So kids, I'm so glad to have you in here with us for the sermon for the summer. So elementary kids, welcome. Uh, we hope that you enjoy uh, the, the time in here with us. And we want you to know you are the church just as much as I am the church or anyone else in the room. And so as we give your teachers a break, um, some time off, uh, we don't see this as less ministry for you. Uh, we want you to realize that this is your place. Um, this, this is where you belong just as much as that classroom. Uh, but anyway, as we jump into this, uh, I've been thinking about when I was a kid, and um, we're continuing our series looking through some stories in First and Second Samuel, talking about as we come out of COVID and all the insanity that the last year has been, and just conflict and so much stuff has been crazy, um, we want to know, Jesus calls us to be peacemakers, and he said, blessed are the peacemakers, and scripture includes these commands to pursue hospitality. So we want to talk about what does hospitality and peacemaking look like. And so we're looking at these stories in First and Second Samuel to learn about that. But as I've been reflecting on when I was a teenager and thinking about peace and all this stuff, I remember one of my friends, his mom was like straight up hippie, like full blown. She did all the hippie stuff. Um, and and she, was, she was always involved in these protests and different things. Like she just really kept the spirit of the 60s and 70s, like all that just going all the time. And one time she joined us, which was super weird because this was a protest that I was a part of and it was really more a demonstration and so what we were doing is we met in Orlando, and as teenagers, we walked across the city to a public park, and then we slept in that park. And I remember this friend's mom just being so funny, because as we're all walking, the idea is we would walk quietly and go to this park and go to sleep at night, just kind of exposed to everything in the middle of a city. And here's his mom, and she's got like the big banners, and like, peace, and all this stuff. And it's like, I think you're kind of missing it, lady, but <laughs> you know, that's okay. But uh, the reason we did that was we wanted to raise awareness because um, what had come to our attention was there are millions at that time, there were millions of children in Uganda where we actually sent Derek and Ray to plant a church. In Uganda, there was a civil war going on and the, the, the opposing force was doing all this guerrilla warfare, but one of their main strategies was they were raising an army of children, like literal children, so think 10-year-olds with AK-47s. And they would brainwash these kids. Like, there were stories of kids who would be rescued and they would just be in so much trauma. They had been brainwashed where if they did not see blood, they would have a migraine headache that day. Like, just crazy stuff. And so these kids, every night, living in these remote villages around the jungle and all across Uganda, to be protected, they knew, like they stood no chance of not being kidnapped and brought into this resistance army if they slept in their own village. There's just not enough protection. And so every night, millions of kids around Uganda would walk together into the city and sleep in parks and streets inside the city. And so this is happening. Millions of kids every day in Uganda are flooding into the cities to have some level of protection so they don't become child soldiers in this insanity. And so we hear about this story and we actually got to meet some of my friends. We met some of the people who had been there and they're telling us all about this stuff. They started this huge nonprofit and they organized this thing to where millions of kids like us in the US all walked into the middle of a city and slept outside trying to raise awareness because it just baffled us to think like we're in the midst of this war with Iraq, Afghanistan. And like we know all about that because of these terrorist attacks and everything. And so everybody's on board like, yeah, we gotta do something about that. And yet now we're hearing the story of millions of kids who have to leave their home and sleep outside in the middle of a city because this crazy army 
is going to kidnap them and make them soldiers. And the world just doesn't know this is happening. And so we wanted to fight for them. We wanted to raise awareness. Like, why is this not what the world is talking about? And it really impacted me to be a part of something like that, to stand up for someone else, to fight for someone else. And whether that was effective or not, like they actually saw a lot of attention drawn to it and things were done about it. And so it's a lot better now in Uganda. They no longer have that insanity happening. Um, But have there been moments in your life where you saw some great need, some danger that made you want to step in to fight for someone or something? And maybe it's not on like a global scale like that. Maybe just you're walking down the street and you just saw somebody being hurt by the way that someone treated someone else. It was even in your own house. Like that's just not right how that happened. But have you ever felt that need that I should stand up now? I need to actually help. I need to fight for justice here. I need to display some mercy. I hope you have. Um, I think that that's a normal part of being human, but I think especially as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we are called to this, that we should stand up for the hurting. We should step in to defend the vulnerable. We should help where we can. And so the question to wrestle with, what are you willing to fight for? If part of peacemaking is actually knowing when to stand up for something, to fight for something, what are you actually willing to fight for? And now let's put that in the context of this last year. We have fought for so many things that everyone has a position, everyone has an opinion, and we're all experts, and I'm not accusing anyone because I'm right there with it. But we all know, like, we know what's right. We're willing to fight for this. But what are the things that we really should be willing to fight for? When should we step up? And so we are in 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you have your copy of scripture, we're gonna be starting at the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 17. And this is a famous story. If you've been tracking with us, we're actually kind of jumping out of chronological order and I've kind of given you some warnings for the last couple of weeks that we're gonna do that because kids, this is an epic story and I wanted you to be here for this, all right? So this is gonna be great and there's a really good chance that we're gonna break Mr. Josh's music stuff. So this is gonna be awesome. Where's he at? Oh, it's going to be good. (laughs) All right, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 17. So uh, first three verses, we're going to start there, okay? Verse one, it says, The Philistines, the Philistines gathered their forces for war at Sokoh and Judah and camped between Sokoh and Azekah and Ephes Demim. Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Elah. Then they lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. The Philistines were standing on one hill and the Israelites were standing on another hill with the ravine between them. And so I want to help you understand what's happening here. That you have the Philistines, which is kind of like the mortal enemy at this time of Israel. You have the Israelites, the people of God. And so King Saul, remember, he's kind of losing his mind. David has been kind of inscripted to come and play the liar to calm this crazy guy down when he's losing it. And, and so King Saul going crazy, but he's still the king of Israel. And so now you have Philistines, like huge enemy of the Israelites, and they've come together for war. But they're here at this valley of Elah. And in this valley of Elah, so valley is where things go down. It's a lowland. And so you have a hill on one side, you have a hill on the other side, this ravine or this valley in the middle. And so one army, the Israelites is over here, and the Philistines is over here. And there's this standoff. Why would there be a standoff? Why wouldn't they just come like, let's go? Have you ever heard the term, they've got the higher ground? In fighting, if you are higher than your opponent, you have an advantage. 
Think about it. It's a lot easier, especially with hand-to-hand combat, to swing down or to shoot down or anything like that than it is to aim up. It takes a lot more effort. You're a lot more exposed if you're below your opponent. And so whichever side goes into the valley is now exposing themselves to the other force. And so there's this standoff. Neither side is going in yet. They're not ready. Like, how's this going to go down, okay? So there's this standoff here. Which side is going to go in? So look at verse 4. It says, Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet, nine inches tall, and wore a bronze helmet and bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. There was a bronze armor on his shins, and a bronze javelin was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam, and the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. In addition, a shield bearer was walking in front of him. So if you don't go to the gym, or maybe you're just like so buff that you, you're just like, oh, 15 pounds. But like, imagine 15 pounds, like one of those 15-pound dumbbells. And now you put that on a long stick, and you hold it out there, and you're supposed to be able to accurately throw that thing. Like, this guy is nine feet, nine inches, and he is ripped. Like, he's got muscle on muscle. This is crazy. This is a giant. You've heard of Goliath? So Goliath is here. He is here. He is the champion. And so why do the Philistines have a champion? This giant who's got crazy bronze armor all over him, and he's got this giant spear, and he's out there defying them. He is the champion. What is a champion? Well, a champion, a champion fight is this idea, again, like you have this force on one side, high ground, force on the other side, high ground. If either of them come in, like there's going to be bloodshed. There are going to be casualties. And so the idea of a champion is, okay, instead of us clashing together and a lot of people inevitably dying, let's have our best fighter go, our champion. And then you send your best fighter, your champion, and they will face off. And they'll be like representatives of our entire force. So if my champion wins, we all win. If your champion wins, you all win. And so that's the idea here. We're going to avoid huge casualties. Let's send our best. And they'll fight it out, and we'll see who's actually better. We'll see who's victorious. And so Goliath is the champion from the Philistines. And that would be quite intimidating. Nine feet, nine inches. Anybody close to that? No. (laughs) Topher raised his hand. Thank you. (laughs) He is, actually. (laughs) At least in my eyes, man. (laughs) All right. Verse 8. So speaking about Goliath. He stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formations. Why do you come out to line up in battle formation? He asked them, am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and have him come down against me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Then the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. When Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. They hear the Philistine champion, this giant named Goliath, and he's taunting them. Am I not a Philistine? Come on, send your best. Who are you gonna send? Let's fight. You beat me, we'll all be your servant. If I beat you, (laughs) you know what's done. And what I want you to see here, think back now in the story. Saul was selected as the first king of Israel. And what was that distinguishing thing about Saul that it said? 
he stood ahead over every other Israelite. So Saul comes together with the entire nation of Israel and he's packed into the room and Saul's the guy who can look around and see everyone because he's above them all. And so now you think Goliath is their best. He is their champion. He's the biggest. He's the most qualified to fight on behalf of their whole army. Who naturally would be the champion for the Israelites? That little detail in the story now informs us in this story, Saul should be the guy. He should be the guy. Saul should be stepping up right now. Saul should be the champion. But what is Saul doing? He's neglecting his duty. He was the most qualified as the one who stood ahead taller than any other Israelite. He should have been the champion, but he's not. And so then the story goes on. This happens for 40 days. The Goliath comes out and screaming out over this valley to the opposing Israelites. He's like, hey, what are you gonna do? Come on, let's fight. I'm ready. You guys gonna come? Just taunting them over and over and over. And you remember David. David is this shepherd boy who knows how to play the lyre really well. And so David was anointed king when Samuel, this prophet, comes and Jesse has these sons and he's like, hey, one of your sons is gonna be the next king. And so this is kind of like crazy because there's currently Saul as king and so like we might wanna keep this on the down low but I'm anointing the next king because God has rejected Saul as king now. And so another king is coming and David is the youngest brother who's actually left tending the sheep. Like Jesse, the dad, is like, he's not even worth bringing. <laughs> you don't even get honorable mention here, brother. Like, you're out there. And so Samuel's like, nope, not him, not him, not him. Don't you have another son? He's like, well, yeah, the youngest one. He's out with the sheep. I didn't even think to bring him. And we'll bring him. And we got that beautiful lesson where God says, like, no, I look at the heart. You look at outward appearance, but I look at the heart. And so that's where we are introduced to David. And David is in a way, he's going to be the next king. But meanwhile, he's serving as a musician in the court of the crazy King Saul to try to calm Saul down when the spirit comes and drives him to torment. He's just going crazy. And so here's David back and forth from court and then shepherding, being with his father. But his father actually sends David because three of David's brothers are here with the military. And so Jesse, David's dad, is like, here, take some provisions. Here's some bread and some cheese. Nice, well-rounded diet. You're gonna take that to your brothers, okay? And so David goes, and then David hears about this. He's like, what in the world? Who is that crazy giant down there screaming at us, insulting us? And he's questioning the situation. And people are like, yeah, man, that guy's crazy. But if somebody could fight him and kill him, like, dude, the king would give you all kinds of stuff. It'd be crazy. This is, this is remarkable what's happening. And we pick up in verse 28. 28, it says, David's oldest brother, Eliab, listened as he spoke to the men, as David was speaking to the men, and he became angry with him. Why did you come down here? He asked. Who did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You came down to see the battle. What have I done now? Protested David. It was just a question. The brother is like, look, little brother, I know what you're doing. Everyone likes to see a train wreck. You know why traffic slows down at traffic accidents? Sometimes because they have to move over safely. Most of the time, because they just want to see the wreck. That's what you're here for. You just want to see what's happening. I know your evil heart, little David. Who did you leave those few sheep with? You're neglecting your duty. Get out of here. You don't belong here, David. And here's David. What did, it's just asking a question. I don't understand what's happening. Why is that guy talking to us like that? Why is no one doing anything about this? It's just a question. And he keeps going. Verse 31, what David said was overheard 
and reported to Saul. So he had David brought to him. David said to Saul, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. What? (laughs) David, little shepherd boy, the one who's overlooked when like dad didn't even think to bring him before the prophet. And now he's a musician in the court of the crazy king. He's a shepherd boy. He's come to bring bread and cheese to his brothers. Like now he's questioning things. And King Saul's like, who's questioning this stuff? Bring him to me. Bring me the one who's questioning. It's been 40 days of this. Somebody's still questioning. I want to meet this guy. And so David is brought before Saul. And here he is. What? Brothers accusing him, all this stuff. David is the opposite of the rest of the Israelites. Watch what happens. But Saul replied, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. And he's been a warrior since he was young. David answered Saul, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Then David said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and may the Lord be with you. So when, when David says, don't let anyone be discouraged by him, your servant will go and fight this Philistine, David is putting himself in the opposite position of the Israelites. Not in the opposite army, but in the opposite position. That all of Israel is terrified and discouraged, and here is David saying, no, have courage. Have courage, guys. Let me give you courage. I will go fight him. <laughs> so, wait a second. <laughs> who, who says that they're going to go fight him? Bring him to me. I want to hear this. Wait, you, little boy? Remember, Saul's stature. Now looking at little David, you think you're going to go fight the champion? You're just a youth. He's been an experienced warrior since his youth. But David does not lose heart. David says, well, let me tell you about my resume. I've killed lions. I've killed bears. But you know what? It wasn't really me. It was God. And the same thing, in the same way that he delivered me from the paw of the bear and the lion, he's going to deliver me here. He will destroy. That giant down there is defying the God of all Israel. He's defying God himself. Like, we can fight. We are the Lord's army. What are we afraid of, guys? I'll fight for you. He continues on, verse 38. Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David. So remember again, stature here. Saul, head above everyone else, little David, overlooked and all this stuff. Saul had his own military clothes put on David. He put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on armor. David strapped his sword on over the military clothes and tried to walk, but he was not used to them. That's a very nice way of saying it was, it was awkward. It was weird. <laughs> it was ridiculous. I can't walk in these, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. I have to think he was being nice about that, <laughs> trying to save some face. I'm just not used to them, you know? Yeah, just not used to it. So David took them off. Instead, he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the weighty and put them in the pouch in his shepherd's bag. Then with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. So you've got the best armor. Like the king is going to have the best armor of the Israelite army. And Saul's like, okay, look, if you're gonna do this, take my armor. <laughs> I, I, I should be the one going to fight, I'm 
pretty terrified. I'm not going to go fight. I'll let you, young little man, <laughs> you little dude, you can go fight him. I'll give you my armor. Like, what craziness. Like, that he would not be in the place he should be, Saul. He's hiding in the tent when he should be the champion for Israel. And now he's like, okay, I'll let you, you little young guy, you can go fight for us. I'll give you my armor, Okay. I won't fulfill my own duty, but I'll let you take my armor to protect you. And David puts it on. It's ridiculously big. He's like, I can't even walk in this. You know, I'm not used to it. Here, you have it back. And he's like, I'm gonna take my staff. I'm gonna find five smooth stones from the weighty. A weighty is like a riverbed, but it usually dries up until it rains and then it floods. And so he gets five smooth stones, puts them in a shepherd's bag, and he's got his sling. He's like, I'm ready to go. And he starts walking off to go face off with the Philistine, this giant who's ready there in the valley to fight. So here we go. Um, here, here's the thing. I need, a, I need a kid, volunteer kid. Any volunteer kids? Yeah? All right, Luke, come on up here, man. Mr. Reggie, can you help us out really quick? Are you a good shot? All right. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. So if you can hold that side, Mr. Reggie. Yep. <laughs> All right, you got a... You got a thing in there, so you're going to hold this and pull it back. If you can step forward just a couple steps, you see, everyone see, I am so impressed that that has stayed here all morning. So there's a stack of cups. Don't you miss it. You get one shot. When you're ready. When you're ready. Oh! Oh, that's okay. Go pick up the ball and hit it. <laughs> but David only gets one shot. It's a lot harder than it looks. There it is! Yeah! I've been looking forward to that for three days. Thank you. <laughs> oh, very nice. Nicely done, Luke. All right, so here's the thing. The, the balloon launcher, we're going to pretend like this is a sling because it's actually somewhat similar to how a shepherd's sling would work. But instead of it having this kind of elastic band that you'd pull back in the middle with a couple guys holding it to launch your water balloon, instead, it would actually be held like this. And you would hook one side of it in. You have a little pouch down here that the smooth rock would go into. And then you hold the other side loosely. And so you start rotate, revolution, revolution, revolution. And then you let go of one side and the sling would come out wherever you're aimed at. And so these guys would get really, really, really good at this. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book about David and Goliath, and I don't agree with all of his conclusions, but a lot of it is very logical, and he makes some points that are actually really good. Um, you know, the capacity of a rock coming out of a sling in this style is that um, they, would, they would be able to sling this thing six revolutions per second. So this thing is flying. It has the stopping power. A rock coming out of a shepherd's sling has the same stopping power as a 45 caliber bullet. That's crazy. And here in the Valley of the Law, if you do your geography, then you look at this, and the rock here is actually barium sulfate, which is twice as dense as normal rocks that you would find. And so this bullet essentially coming out is incredible. And so David has this sling. Here he is coming up on the Philistine. And now watch what happens in verse 41. The Philistine came closer and closer to David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. He said to David, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts. David said to the Philistine, you can come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. Today, the Lord will hand you over to me. 
Today, I'll strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God, and this whole assembly will know that it was not by the sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. This is one of the most important parts of combat. You know what it is? Trash talk. That's right. (laughs) You're absolutely right. Trash talk. I think David wins. The trash talk, I'm pretty sure David just won. I mean, not only is it just irrefutably true, we know as followers of Jesus, that like, if you defy God, like God is fighting for me, so there's no chance. You don't come against God. We talked about this last week. If God is for us, then who can be against us? And so David's confidence is in that, that the Lord will hand you over today. But even on another level, like look at what David says. Like, I'll chop your head off with your own sword. What? <laughs> like that's the ultimate trash talk. Like, I'm gonna take your head off, by the way, with your own weapon. That's how this is gonna go down. Oh, look at verse 48. When the Philistines started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. David overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. Trash talk? Yes. Complete. David ran and stood over him. He grabbed the Philistine's sword, pulled it from its sheath, and used it to kill him. Then he cut off his head. When the Philistines, yes, this is not quite the the lovely children's story that we thought. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah rallied, shouting their battle cry, and chased the Philistines to the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Akron. Philistine bodies were strewn all along the Shariam road to Gath and Akron. It's over. It is won. This is victory. And look, we've got to see this. David was successful because he fought in the name of the Lord, knowing that God would win the victory. There's now a question for you. And whose name are you fighting? Think about any conflict that you've been a part of. Are you fighting in that, in the name of God? In the name of self? And your opinion, your perceived just right standing, also known as self-righteousness? And whose name are we fighting? And so when we think like, what battles am I willing to fight? Let's make sure that whatever fight we get into, we're fighting in the name of the Lord. That's a pretty sure victory if we're fighting in the name of the Lord. But it might not always look like this. So a Goliath falls down in front of you dead. But make sure that we are fighting in the name of the Lord. And then we again have to think like, what what battles are we willing to fight? Are we willing to fight on behalf of others? Like a champion. Okay, you guys are all terrified? I'll step out. And in faith, in the name of the Lord, now I will fight for you. Because we've got to consider David's position here. The David comes, and big brother looks at David and starts accusing him of all this stuff. Big brother who is afraid, mind you. Big brother for 40 days has not stepped up and said, I'll fight. Where are you at, Eliab? He's hiding in his tent, like everyone else in Israel. But then Eliab sees David, little brother, he's like, Psh, I know you, your wicked heart. You're just here to see a massacre, aren't you? You just want to see some fighting, huh? Get out of here. 
He's accusing David. And then Saul. David comes before Saul because Saul's like, who's the guy questioning? Okay, I'll, I'll take anyone at this point. Bring him here. And then Saul sees David. He sees his youth, his inexperience in battle. He sees, he's just initially dismissing him. Like, you're just a little boy. And so David being misunderstood by everyone all around. Questioning David and his position. But David's current position, being that he's serving in the crazy king's court, he's a shepherd, and yet he knows he has been anointed as the next king. So, from his perspective, from Saul's perspective, from his brother's perspective, everyone has these assumptions about who David is and what his position is. And yet, here he is telling them to not be discouraged. David, not coming with fear, but with courage. David didn't come with confidence in his own ability. David came with confidence in God, in God's ability. And so from start to finish, David is just saying, no, 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 not me fighting. God will fight for me. Look, you guys don't have to be afraid because God will fight for us. It is God who will win the victory. It's confidence in the ability of God, not his own. This is what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 6 through 10. He said, for if I want to boast, I wouldn't be a fool because I would be telling the truth, but I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan sent to harass me, to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardship, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. David understood this, that David came in the confidence of God that yes, I am just a boy and I can't do anything on my own. I understand all the difficulty, all the stuff you're harassing me. That's okay because I'm here not in my own strength, but in the strength of God. And God says his strength is perfected in my weakness. So you know what? I'll just be glad all the more to talk about my weakness because in that God's strength is perfected. His grace is sufficient. The favor of God is sufficient. And so Israel has forgotten that God had favor for them, that you are mine. And David is like, let me remind all of you. We have God, the one true God, Yahweh. He's enthroned in heaven and there's nothing that can stand against him. So I'm gonna fight, but it's actually God who's gonna fight for us because of grace. He has favor for us that we don't deserve. This is why David can champion others in spite of how misunderstood he was it's because of the peace he had with God personally. We say this every week in this series, that if you want peace externally, you better find peace internally, and that comes from knowing that you are at peace with God, that he has bought our peace. At the cost of the life of the Son of God, we are now at peace with him. And so if I'm at peace with God, then man, I can be at peace with you. And so giants, whatever, you know what? My confidence is not in me. It's in the God who I'm at peace with. God is my strength. He's my refuge. He is my champion. He's the one who will fight for me. I want you to see the gospel picture of this because this story is so often misunderstood, mispreached even, to think that this is about how we should be more like David and be more courageous to stand against our giants. That is nonsense. That is not the point of the story. The point of the story of David and Goliath is not so you can be like David. 
The point of the story is to see that David is a picture of Christ, the true champion, the one who will fight on our behalf and has destroyed every giant that stands against us. So when we're reading scripture and it's natural, like we want to say like, where do I fit in that? And you kind of read yourself into the story and we read the story and it's exciting. You're like, I want to read myself into David's position. Like, yeah, be David and fight, the, fight them like with have strong faith and all this stuff. Like, yeah. But here's the thing. It's okay to read yourself in the story, but make sure you're reading yourself rightly into the story. You know where we are in the story? We're in the tent hiding, scared to death. And as good as that, there's nothing I can do here. The enemy has got me. And then into that story comes Jesus. As David pictured, the true champion said, no, with unwavering faith, full confidence in God, he comes and he fights for us. That Jesus is the true champion. His victory now becomes ours as David slays Goliath, not himself, but God provides the victory. And so we see this and we're reminded that if you want to champion others, then you must know the true champion is Jesus. And then knowing the true champion, Jesus, now we can step into where we should fight for others. But we fight in the name of the Lord and the confidence of the Lord, not ourselves. We fight his battle because he has already won the victory. And now we're just, in the language of Paul to the church in Corinth, we're just walking with him in this victory parade. It's already been decided. And now we're just living it out. Gospel, we say we're a gospel-centered church, and everything we do, we want to always point back to the gospel. Gospel means good news. And this good news that comes from this, like it goes from German to Latin, all this stuff, but like the, the roots are all actually are God's spell. They're like, this is a story that is so spellbinding. It's like God himself wrote this. And it's, it's this beautiful story. It's good news. And what is good news? Good news is not something that changes something. It's that informs good news is proclaimed. You turn on the TV and you're not actually like, this is going to happen. It's no, this did happen. I'm reporting what happened. So you learn about what's happening around the world. It's just being told to you. It's being proclaimed. And the gospel is good news like that, that it has been decided. Jesus has died and Jesus has raised again. He is alive forevermore. So if your faith is in him, the true champion, then the giant has fallen. All of the sin that stood against you and the wrath of God that is to come has been eradicated. It is done. It is dealt with. Your shame is no more because Jesus took it nailed to a cross and what looked like defeat was actually his victory over it all. This is good news. And so we relish it and know the champion, and now we can step into championing others. So this is a wonderful invitation for us. There is a time to fight. There's a time to stand up and to champion others. But we do that in the name of the Lord, in the confidence of the Lord, the true champion, who is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we're so thankful you fight for us. It's just, I don't know if our culture or what, but it's, it's so easy to miss how often you have revealed yourself as a warrior, that you are not afraid, you are not the fairy tale, fluffy, soft-haired, whatever Jesus floating around that we like to think of. But you are a warrior and you fight for your people. And there's no one who can stand against you 
And so God, we thank you that we are on your side only because you brought us to yourself. That you have come and secured us to be a people for your own possession. You have called us out of darkness into marvelous light to proclaim your excellencies. God, you are incredible. So help us, God, to be a church who knows when to step up and to fight for others in your name and in the confidence of your strength, not our own. We love you. We praise you. Because you are the greatest treasure, Jesus. Amen.